0: Again, glad you guys are with us. If you're joining us online, we're glad y'all are doing that as well. Uh, my name is David. I'm the pastor here at Stonebridge. If you've got a Bible, you can turn to Nehemiah chapter 2. Nehemiah chapter 2. So just uh, set expectations. Sometimes the kind of the most important response is what we do in here, and sometimes it's not, and this is one of those times. The most important response to what we're going to be sharing today is what you do this week, so just so you'll know kind of where we're headed uh, as we look at Nehemiah chapter 2 and chapter 3. Just a brief recap, Nehemiah, he's a cupbearer to the king. That's in a position of influence and trust. He's stationed in Susa, which is uh, in the Persian Empire. It's where the king would spend the winters. You can see it up there on the map. And uh, one day he hears from his brother, his brother travels back from Jerusalem, it's 900 miles, and his brother's been in Jerusalem, and Nehemiah says, what's what's happening there? How are things going? And the report that he gets is devastating to him. His brother says, "The, the walls are torn down, the gates of the city are burned, our people are in great trouble and disgrace. And in that moment, Nehemiah receives his calling. This is how God wants to use him to further God's purposes on the earth. This is how God wants to work through Nehemiah. That conversation with his brother is the spark. We said last week that's where Nehemiah was burdened with what God called him to, which was to move back to Jerusalem and rebuild the walls. So for him it was leave his job, leave his home, move 900 miles to a place he'd never been, and help rebuild the walls of this city. For most of us it's not nearly that dramatic or disruptive. Um, most of us are already where God wants us to be. It's just a matter of us opening our eyes to how he wants to use us. And for Nehemiah, it was this conversation with his brother that opened his eyes. So Nehemiah spends four months praying and preparing to ask the king to send him back. And he winds up getting the opportunity. He asks the king. God gives him favor with the king. And the king says, go ahead. Travel back uh, to your home and rebuild the walls. And so chapter 2 uh, verse 11, that's where we're going to start today. That picks up with Nehemiah having traveled from Susa to Jerusalem, and now he is, uh, he's in the city. I went to Jerusalem, so this is Nehemiah talking about himself. And after staying there three days, I set out during the night with a few others. I would not told anyone what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. There were no mounts with me except the one I was riding on. By night, I went through the valley gate toward the jackal well and the dung gate, examining the walls of Jerusalem, which had been broken down, and its gates, which had been destroyed by fire. Then I moved on toward the fountain gate and the king's pool, but there was not enough room for my mount to get through, so I went up the valley by night, examining the wall. Finally, I turned back and re-entered through the valley gate. The officials did not know where I'd gone or what I was doing, because as yet I'd said nothing to the Jews or the priests or nobles or officials or any others who would be doing the work. Then I said to them, "'You see the trouble we're in. Jerusalem lies in ruins, and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem, and we will no longer be in disgrace.' I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king had said to me. They replied, "'Let's start rebuilding.' So they began this good work. But when Sambalat the Horonite, Tobiah the Ammonite official, and Geshem the Arab heard about it, they mocked and ridiculed us. "'What is this you're doing?' they asked. "'Are you rebelling against the king?' And I answered them by saying, the God of heaven will give us success. We are his servants, excuse me, we his servants will start rebuilding. But as for you, you have no share in Jerusalem or any claim or historic right to it. So Nehemiah takes this long journey, he gets it to Jerusalem, he rests for a few days, and then he sets out in secret, which is maybe not what we would think. He's inspecting walls at night, which is not the easiest thing to do. There's no street lights. He doesn't have a flashlight or a light on his cell phone. So how is he supposed to see? Why is he doing all this at night? He doesn't tell anybody why he moved back. It was a pretty significant chain of events that got him from Susa to Jerusalem. He doesn't tell anybody why he asked to come back or what he's going to do. There's just a handful of people, maybe even his family, that he uh, travels with him around these walls. Why is he being so secretive? So within the last twenty years, we don't know exactly when, but within the, the 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 twenty years of Artaxerxes' reign, the Jews have begun to rebuild the city, and that got shut down. There were some local officials, some non-Jews, who um, they they didn't like what the Jews were doing, so they sent word back to Artaxerxes. This is in Ezra four. We referenced it last week, and they said these guys, these rebellious guys, are rebuilding the city. You probably want to shut this down before they get finished. And Artaxerxes said, okay, shut it down, and they did. They were, according to Ezra 4, quote, compelled by force to stop building. So that was probably not super pleasant for them. So Nehemiah knows there's people that don't want us to do this work. He probably doesn't know exactly who they are. He's never been there before. But he knows that there's a group that doesn't want them to do the work. So he keeps everything quiet. Doesn't want to give their enemies um, a heads up. Don't want them to know what's going on. So he does all of this stuff in secret. He travels around, and we don't know any of those places. We don't know the gates, and we can't, I can't visualize that, and you probably can't either, and that's okay. He just makes a circuit around the city, and he looks at the walls, and he's making notes. And then the next day, he gathers all of the Jews. Remember, there's 50,000 Jews who've returned to the, to the, to the area from exile, and he says, all right, here's the deal. We're in trouble. We don't have a wall, and that's basically an open invitation to people to come and invade us. So we're in trouble, and we're also in disgrace. That's a word that really speaks to their reputation. Remember, uh, during this time, the thought was each nation had its own God. And so the God of Israel right now doesn't look great because the capital of Israel is in shambles. And so what that would communicate to foreigners is, well, your God's not, there's not a lot going on with him if he can't even maintain this one city. So the people are in disgrace, and and that actually causes God's name to not be honored among the nations. And so Nehemiah says, this isn't isn't acceptable. We need to do something about this. Now, remember, these people had already been shut down once within the past 10, 15 years. They'd already been shut down. They're probably a bit gunshot. Again, they've been compelled by force, whatever that means. That has kind of a military undertone to it. So maybe troops were sent in. We don't know exactly. But they're probably a little nervous about getting started again. And so Nehemiah says, I, y'all need to know God is, God's in this. Remember the story that we looked at last week in Nehemiah 1 and the way God orchestrated events for Nehemiah to be able to share with the king and for the king to reverse a decree. They never did that. To go from saying, don't rebuild the wall, to giving permission. And then not just giving permission, but providing the, the timber that was necessary to rebuild the gates. The king did all that. So Nehemiah is saying, see, God's with us. And I have these letters from the king that he's behind us as well. And the people, to their credit, then they, they get to work. They start rebuilding and the, the local opposition rises up really quickly. Three guys that lead it, Sambalat, Tobiah, and Geshem, and we'll talk about them next week. Their opposition initially, it's just kind of ridicule and mockery, and they escalate from there. And again, we'll look at that next week. Chapter 3, we're not going to read, not because it's not important, but just because it would, it's describing the rebuilding process. And there's 40, about 43 sections of the wall that are rebuilt, and you don't know any of them, and neither do I. And it's the people who rebuilt them, and you don't know those people, and neither do I. And so, if you want to take a nap today, you read chapter 3, and it'll help you get there. There's some important things in chapter 3 for us, though, that I'm going to reference, and you can either trust me, or you can go back and read it on your own. So, uh, for us, kind of taking off of the second half of chapter 2 and chapter 3, we said before, things that we see physically in the Old Testament often play out spiritually in the New Testament. And I think this is one of those cases. Uh, the, the returnees rebuilt literal physical walls. Around the city of Jerusalem. We're not doing that. God is not calling us to build a wall around our city. But spiritually there is some truth there. That we want to grab onto. Isaiah 58.12 is a prophecy. About these people that we just read about. It was made 250 years ago before Nehemiah 2 and 3, but it says about these people, you'll be called repairers of broken walls and restorers of streets with dwellings. And 250 years later, that's what these guys are doing. They're literally fulfilling that prophecy. They're rebuilding the walls of their city. They're clearing off the streets of all the rubble so that people can go up and down the road again. And that is spiritually a picture of how God wants to use us in our community. He wants us to be repairers of broken walls. About 50 years ago, two men, a guy named Bill Bright who founded Campus Crusade for Christ and a guy named Lauren Cunningham who founded a Youth with a Mission, YWAM, they, independent of each other, kind of had this idea, and it seems like it was from the Lord. They called them the seven mountains of influence, the things that shape a city. And we use the word walls coming from Isaiah 58 and from the book of Nehemiah, that's our label for those areas of influence. You can see them there up on the screen. So these are institutions that shape a community. You won't find those listed in the Bible, but if you've lived in a city for about a week, you get the idea these things are important. The government and the legal community, that's important. The church with a capital C is important. The business community, the family, the educational system... Science and medical community. Think about where we live, the importance of Wellstar, arts, media, culture. Those things are all important and they shape the atmosphere of a city. They shape the way people live and move and work in a city. And so these two guys, Bill Bright and Lauren Cunningham, again, kind of independent of each other, had this idea and it's been something that's uh, kind of floated around in the church for the last 50 years. What would it look like as Christians if we said... We want to influence those things that influence our entire city, not necessarily to Christianize them, but to be salt and light in those places that impacts an entire city. And to me, that sounds a whole lot like Jesus saying, "Pray for my kingdom to come and my work, my will to be done on, or my Father's kingdom to come and will to be done on earth as it is in heaven." And so, last week we talked about calling. If you think about calling as what you do. These walls, is you can think about that as where you do it. Where you do what you do, it's these walls. It's th- those are the places where you tend to spend your time. So that, that's the question. From Nehemiah uh, 2 and 3, what we're, two things that we want to think about today. One is where is my wall, and then what's the condition of my wall? And for most of us, it's more than one. We have, there, there's two or three primary areas where God is calling us to engage. And so the the simple question is, where are you already spending your time, either paid or unpaid? Where do you spend most of your time? That's probably an indication of where the Lord wants to use you. So I'm just going to talk from my own experience, which can be dangerous, but I'm going to do that, not because there's anything special about me, but just as a way of saying, maybe this puts some skin on the bones for you so you can begin to see what I'm talking about. So for me, there's three primary walls where I feel like God has called me. The church with a capital C, and that's because that's my job. I'm the pastor of a church. Education, and then family. And education, it's, I'm on the school governance team at Park Street, which is a local elementary school. And then my family, it's honestly, it's because I have one. I'm married and I have four children. And so those, three, those are the areas where I tend to spend my time, and that's the, those are the areas where God tends to use me. So thinking through Nehemiah, a couple of things for you to keep in mind, and this is from chapter three again, so you can either trust me or you can go back and you can read it. If you read through Nehemiah three, one of the things that I'll jump out at you is there's no one labeled as a brick mason. They're rebuilding a wall. I think you'll see a picture there up on the screen. Some archaeologists have found what they think to be Nehemiah's wall. It's about eight feet thick, significant wall. And the, the phrase that they used, some archaeologists used, they, they said it, it's rough construction. That's what they said. It looked like it was done really quick. And as we read through Nehemiah, we realize it was done in 52 days. They put the wall up fast. But it wasn't professionals that did it. I'm not saying that nobody knew how to build a wall, but certainly nobody's labeled as a mason or a contractor. We have a lot of people who don't have any titles attached. It's just so-and-so the son of, or so-and-so the brother of. We have a man who works with his daughters, so you have men and women working. Priests, Levites, goldsmiths, perfumers, merchants, what we would call city councilmen, local officials. Those guys we all have labeled, but nowhere is a mason or a contractor listed. And so in my mind, I'm thinking, well... Being a goldsmith doesn't exactly train you to build a wall, and I know preschool doesn't teach you how to. I've been to that; it doesn't teach you how to build a wall. But God used those what people to do that work, and so for all of us, I want you to hear: like this isn't whatever your version of professional is. God's not just that's not who God's working through. He absolutely can, but he's not limited. And so this is for everybody, regardless of how young or old you are, or how. Short or long a time you've been walking with the Lord, regardless of what you feel like your gifts or your talents or your experiences. Everybody gets involved. And another thing you'll notice if you read through Nehemiah 3, a lot of times the section of the wall that the people work on, it's closely connected with them. So the McKees work on the section of wall that's across from their house. Or the priests work on the section of the wall near the temple. You have people who are working on the wall near where it's going to impact them or affect them, which makes sense. That's part of Nehemiah's brilliance as a leader, is he has people working in the areas where they have the highest, uh, the most vested interest. It's going to be the most motivating for them to do this hard work because they're going to derive the benefit. And so that's why it's important for us to think about where we already are. Where has God already put you? Occasionally and rarely, God calls people from one place to another. He does. We can see that in the Bible. But for most of us, again, that's, that's once or twice in a lifetime. And for some of us, it's never. Where we are is where God wants us to be. So think about where you're already spending your time, where you have that vested interest already. And if, you're te- if you tend to disqualify yourself because you're not a, quote, professional, go ahead and toss that out of your mind as well. So with all of those disclaimers, the, the primary areas where I work, again, are it's church and education. And family, and using Nehemiah's language, I would say the, the, the broadest section or the longest section of the wall for me is the church. It's where I have the most influence. It's where I spend the most time. Some of that is because it's my job. It's what I'm paid to do. I'm also on the board of this group called the Transformation Network. It's our local uh, church planting organization. And, and that's what we do. We help plant churches and we support pastors in doing that. And I'm a part of a group of about 12 pastors in our city that pray for our city once a month. So those are some, some ways that I'm influencing or a part of this church wall in our city. Education. I'm on the school governance team at Park Street Elementary School. When it's our partner in education. So uh, when you think about walls, it's pretty, you can get overwhelmed pretty quickly. If you think about the educational system. In Marietta City, there's 13 schools. In Cobb County, there's 112 schools plus private schools, plus all the people at homeschool plus preschool, plus Colleges and technical schools. It can be overwhelming to think. God wants me to do something with all of that. No nope, he doesn't. <sighs> Micro. What's the one. For you. My, my kids didn't go to Park Street. And they don't. I have a kid at Marietta 6th grade academy. And a kid at Marietta high school. And two kids at the University of Georgia. And none of those are my wall. But Park Street is. That one school. That's the place where I spend my time. And give my influence. What is it for you as you're thinking? Don't think business, community, and Marietta. That's overwhelming. Where do you work? That's it. Where do you work? How does God want to use you in that place? And then the third one for me again is family. And for me, that's really just my household. My influence doesn't really extend beyond that, and I don't have burden beyond those five people that I live with, really, in terms of family dynamics. So what is it for you? Where has God already placed you? Those are most likely the walls where he's calling you to work. So for me, again, just speaking personally, my calling or my deal in our language is I help people get unstuck and move forward in their life and calling. That's kind of what I do. If you're you're stuck, I'm going to help you identify the obstacles, get rid of them, and move forward. I'm probably not going to make you feel better. I'm not going to be empathetic. I'm not going to stroke you and pat your head. I'm going to say, here's, here's what we need to do, and then go do that. And I'm going to encourage you to do that. That's really my thing. And so I do that in this church world. I do it here. That's the way, it's what I do on a Sunday. That's why I, for when we go through the Bible, there's always a practical application. How do we move this forward? If you meet with me one-on-one, that's the direction that we're going to go. That's why we've created classes like Fit and Deep Roots. It's what I do within our network. The other pastors call me if they're wanting to know how to do something. They don't call me if they want to do something fun. (laughs) They call somebody else for that. They call me if they want some information. How do I do this? That's kind of my thing. Even within my family, that's a role that I play, particularly with our kids. And I can look and say, Right now, this is my job. At some point, it won't be. Either you'll fire me or I'll retire or whatever, but that'll still be my calling. And I can look before I had this job, that's what I did. All the way back to high school, I helped kids that didn't know chemistry figure it out. Let's figure out how to do this. I can remember a time when I was getting my hair cut in Athens, Georgia. It took longer, I had more hair, and this lady was unloading her. You can imagine me. I don't want the people cutting. I don't want anybody to talk to me, but particularly people I don't know. She's cutting my hair and I'm giving off the don't talk to me vibe and she's not picking up on it. And she's spilling all of this stuff. And I'm kind of, I'm just like, just take a little more off the top. <laughs> and then I, I, I can look back at that as a moment, that particular encounter and say, there's something Even when I don't want to do it, for some some reason, someone as prickly as me can have people want to share. And I can help. Even as a 20-year-old who doesn't know anything about anything, I can help her figure out some things in her life that were way beyond my depth. And so I can look back and say, that's how God tends to use me. And so when I don't have this job, I assume that's how he will continue to use me. The where's may change, but the what remains the same. And so all that to say, again, it's not about me. For you, it's can you identify the what? We talked about that last week. Where are you burdened? Where are you stirred? What moves you? And then to begin to think, okay, so where are the places where God wants me to do that what? For me, it's church and in the, those areas, Stonebridge, Transformation Network, the church in Marietta, Park Street Elementary School, and in my home. What is it for you? That's the only thing I want you to think about. Nehemiah 2 and 3. Where's your wall? Can you identify that? Don't hear that as pressure, but as an invitation. For some of you, you don't think. Those seven things, they don't resonate. That's not the way you think. This may be more helpful for you. You may think in terms of people groups. And a people group's exactly what it sounds like. It's a group of people. And they have the same, they have some common characteristics. So that idea, government, Church, family, you're like, man, I don't know. But, like, we have, there's a lady in our church. She would say, I'm drawn to women who've had miscarriages. Those are my people. That's a people group, the commonality. We've had a miscarriage. You, it may be the people in your neighborhood, that common characteristic. They all live in the same subdivision. Teenagers, whatever. So for you, those seven things, it may not really resonate Maybe you think more in terms of groups of people. But the same concept applies. Is that where you're, where you're spending your time? That's most likely the place where God wants you to do whatever it is he's called you to do. So here's the application point. This is what I'm going to ask you to do this week. And I think it's simple. I want you to do a prayer walk. That's it. And, it's, and again, it's exactly what it sounds like. You walk and you pray. So, but before you go to bed on Saturday night, so you got a week, I want you to take a walk and you can walk wherever you normally walk, your neighborhood, the mountain, a park, whatever. I want you to walk and while you walk, I want you to pray. And I want you to just pray for blessings over the people that you pass. So that's physical people who you're walking by, houses, businesses. You can click that QR code up there, and it'll take you to our website or on the app. And there's some blessing prayers there that Kim has pulled together. So that way you've got that right there on your phone. I'm not asking you to stop anybody and pray for them. I'm just asking you to pray as you walk by. Now, just to be... I'm not... This sounds silly, but I'm being serious. Just so you... You're walking with your eyes open, not closed... And you can pray internally. You don't have to pray out loud, particularly if you're by yourself. If you're walking with somebody and y'all are doing that together, then that sounds like a conversation. But otherwise, honestly, it just makes people think you're disturbed. So I would say pray silently in your mind and in your heart and just pray blessings. And this is for everybody. I want all of you to do it. I don't care how old you are or young you are. I want you to do this. And if you say, I don't walk, well, this week you're going to. Find one, 20 minutes, 30 minutes. What you're doing, and the the point of this, we're going to do this every week until we're done with Nehemiah. So eight, nine, 10 more weeks, we're going to do a walk. We'll have a different focus every time. What I'm trying to do is several things, but primarily I'm just trying to get us to wear kind of spiritual glasses in our everyday life. For most of us, if we're in a place like this, on a Sunday or whatever it looks like for you to connect with the Lord personally during the week, that's your kind of spiritual time or your God time. But then we spend most of our life, most of our day, unaware that God is at work. That's one of the greatest schemes of the enemy. It's one of the ways that the enemy debilitates the church. It's not only through sin, yes, but it's also it's through apathy. We just don't know. We don't pay attention. We've talked before. Where we live, we're that crowded soil in the parable of the soils. There's so many things, and many of them are good, that choke out the work of God in our life. We just don't see it. And so intentionally getting outside of our house and outside of this building, walking around where you normally walk with a spiritual attitude, praying, God bless this and that and the other. That begins to awaken us to how God is at work in our world. All, all you're going to be doing is paying attention. That's what it is. That's, that's why we're doing this. It's to, it's to help us pay attention to what God is already doing. The walls of our city, they are, they are broken, but they're not completely destroyed. People have been praying for our city since it was founded. People have been working in our community, believers have, since day one. God has not abandoned us. He's not left us. The walls are, they, they are in disrepair, but they're not completely obliterated. And so we want to have eyes to see what is good and right and as it should be. And also what's devastated and needs to be fixed. Like Nehemiah and Nehemiah 2 where he walked around the walls. That's what we want. We want to walk around the walls. If God's called me to church and education and family, then I need to know what's going on in the lives of my kids. I need to know what's going on at Park Street Elementary School. And I need to know what's going on in the church in Marietta. Prayer walking is a way of doing that. It gets us out. And I think that's really important for us. So I want to strongly encourage you to do that. If you're, you can do that by yourself. You can do that with a friend. You can do it with the spouse or your kids. I don't care. Just do it. And the second thing, I'm going to invite you to do this. We're going to do this in April, May, and June. We're going to take one Saturday a month, and we're going to do a corporate prayer walk from here. That, not a parade. We're not all walking together. We're not all wearing the same T-shirt. But from here, we're going to pray for the area around our church. So we did, we, this was something that we did when we were on the square. and It was really helpful to us to learn how to be a good neighbor. We wanted to do that when we moved here, but COVID kind of messed up our calendar, so we're a year late. We've got three or four different routes that center on this corner. And on Saturday morning at 8, we're going to gather here. You pick up, you take whatever route you want, and you go and pray. And when you're done, you're done. And and same thing. We're we're praying for God to bless the people that we walk by, the businesses and the homes. And we're praying for God to speak to us about what it means for us collectively to be a good neighbor here on this corner. So those two things, the, the one that's most important to me is for you to do the personal one. And we would love for you to also to do this corporate walk on Saturday. And again, we're going to do that once a month, uh, starting at 8, and you'll be done. As, as quick as you can do the walk, you'll be done. Bring your dog, bring your stroller, whatever you want to do is fine with me. We just want you participating. And again, I, I know it's, it's simple, but I think it's a powerful response. Think about, like, just you can go ahead and close your eyes. Bo, you can come back. Y'all just picture So we probably, there's probably, we're not exactly sure, we don't keep the greatest records, 700, 750 adults, probably 1,000 people who say Stonebridge is my church. It's more than that, actually, probably. Think about 1,000 people every week walking throughout this community. Marietta, Smyrna, Kennesaw, Ackworth. Think about that intentionally praying for wherever their feet hit the ground. Like, think about what that does to a city. If that's happening week after week after week, just for three months, how does that change things? Like, think about that first song that we sang, that God who can do anything. What happens if 750 or 800 or 1,000 people, kids and students and adults, are intentionally saying, God, where are you, the God who can do anything? Where are you already at work? And where do you want to be at work? What happens to a city if 800 or 900 or 1,000 people are asking for God to bless the strangers that they walk by, their neighbors, their co workers? If they're praying about businesses and schools and courthouses. Praying about different groups of people. What happens? That's what we want to begin to engage in. We want to get a vision, a glimpse of what that is. Again, the enemy, he pulls the wool over our eyes where we think... We just think it's, it's either just, it's just me and Jesus. And if my personal relationship with him is okay, then that's really the sum total of what it means to be a Christian. And that's not. That's absolutely a part of it. But it's not just about you and him. He wants to use you to impact the place where you are. Just as you are. He's not looking for professional bricklayers to build a wall. He's looking for me and you to rebuild the areas where we're already invested in. We want to close with worship and as we do, my encouragement to you, I'm just going to pray this as a prayer and you can receive it as such. God, I pray that you would stir us this week. I pray for everyone who's online, who's in this room, people coming at 8 and at 11. Children, students, and adults, I pray that you would send us in the most biblical sense of that word this week. You would send us out as ambassadors of your kingdom doing the simple work of walking and praying. Do things that we know how to do. Give us eyes to see where you're at work in the places where you've placed us. And also give us eyes to see the places that are that are disrepaired. Where the walls have been broken down. And you begin to speak to us. About what it looks like to engage in that area. To do the things that you've called us to do. In the places where you've already planted us. No pressure. No guilt. But I pray with excitement and expectation. We would engage with you this week. And God I want to believe that over the course of the next 8, nine, ten weeks. We'll hear testimonies. Of how regular people doing a simple exercise of obedience results in fruit that will last for eternity in Jesus name amen you know what we need to be done this is a really good song but we need to be done it's 10:35 so y'all are free to go Tate's already gone he knew it it was time to time to be done yeah. so y'all follow Tate out the door and we'll see y'all next week
1: Hey guys, glad you're able to join us today. Um, you know this message is so important, so crucial to the heart of Stonebridge and what what God has called our church to be in Marietta. Um, you know, our vision is that God, we, we would see God transform our community. We believe that he's doing that inside the church, in our hearts. Uh, and we also see that he is inviting us to step into being his hands and feet, being um, the love of Christ and the action of Christ out in our community as well. Um, and so we want to see this for all of us to be able to really be able to uh, to look and see where has God Uh, gifted each of us what are the passions and the talents that he's put inside of us and where is he leading us to to play those out um and, and we got to see just a little bit of um inside glimpse and how David views that and how he looks at the walls, um, uh, is the areas that he has called to. Um, and so definitely I would, would encourage you to spend some time on this, um, circle back on the specific areas, the walls that God has led you to, um, be involved in, uh, for your calling to be played out in, in Marietta. Um, and you know, I, I, I just want to Circle back on two points that I think are really crucial um, David talked about. One, that it was the body of Christ that was rebuilding the wall. It wasn't um, just the skilled masons. It wasn't contracted out to uh, the best masons, but instead it was the whole body coming together, that it was being built together by all different types of people uh, for God's kingdom work, for his will to be done Um and so I think this is really crucial. I feel like it is tempting to believe that we are not qualified, um, that we are not, um, don't have what it takes. But he is, uh, he's doing work in all of us and leading us to be involved in his keen work across Marietta. So definitely circle back to these um, seven walls and begin to ask the Lord and really evaluate where has he planted you? What are most important to you? What reading through the list of the seven walls really jumps out to you is saying, yeah, that's that's where I, is my where? That's where my calling can be played out in Marietta. Um, and the second one, uh, just wanted to, just to reiterate again, was just that the reality of Marietta and life in Marietta is that we are the crowded soil, that there is um, there's a lot competing for our attention. There's a lot competing for our time. And sometimes I can feel like we are the crowded soil. And, and so um, I do believe if the Lord may also be leading some of you uh, just to be able to identify where are some of those areas that you can be able to pull back, some areas that you can be able to uh, be less involved in as you are discerning your calling, the things that he's put inside of you, and as he's leading you towards what it looks like, um, the where of your calling, where is he leading you to serve and to be involved with in Marietta. Definitely reach out to, um, any of us on staff. If you want to talk more about this, uh, a few of you guys have over the past week and it's been enjoyable conversations, reach out, talk to your small group about this. We're going to be sending out a guide for your small groups to be able to look at, um, really processing and talking about this topic, uh, where of our calling, where that's played out in Marietta. Um, and, and I just encourage you to spend some time, um, talking about this with close friends or your spouse um, as you're processing and really figuring out where God is leading you to be involved with his work in Marietta. So glad you guys were able to join in. Hope you have a great rest of the day. We'll see you next week.